Yeah, today we're going to talk about hurrying up and waiting. Anybody ever feel like life is just that? Hurry up and wait everywhere you go, especially this time of year. Uh, it's it's a, a crazier time of year. I, I, I was uh, uh, given the opportunity to speak at a company's um, Christmas party on Friday night, and so I left with what I thought was plenty of time to be able to travel from my house to the pole barn or the Winthrop barn down there. Everybody know where Winthrop is. Uh, but uh, everybody decided to go out at the same time on Friday night, right around dinner time, and uh, I was a little bit late in arriving there. It, it carried over to the next day. Yesterday, uh, I went downtown with Eleanor uh, to Tampa to do some errands. Um, you ever been that guy who had no idea there was a parade going on and you just drive right into it? Anybody been that guy? Yeah, there was a parade downtown. I don't know what it was for, but it, it basically shut down everything north of Kennedy uh, in, in the downtown part of, of Tampa near the tall buildings. And so as I got on to, you know, 60 there in, 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 in downtown Tampa, um, there was this brief suspension of all laws. Like people around me driving, uh, they, they, did, they didn't see red anymore. They didn't see, they just kind of moved as they wanted to. And, and I was trying to be this, you know, good law-abiding citizen. Um, but does anybody ever get, I get fussed out at like bad, bad drivers, like people who just don't do what they're supposed to do. And so I'm kind of on edge. We went and did our errands and, and just for one more example of patience and waiting and uh, God gave me one more traffic incident. Can I share it with you? So I'm driving uh, in Seminole Heights down a road that I don't go on because I take the main ways. Eleanor likes the back ways. And so I'm on this road and I drive past a really nice older church. It's the United Methodist Church there in Seminole Heights. And in the front yard of the United Methodist Church is a huge banner that says Christmas Bazaar. And then sure enough, off to the side of the church in their parking lot, all the parking lot, all these tents are, you know, um, set up so that these vendors can. And, and so this lady in front of us, we're going along this road. It's nice, almost home, almost done. She just stops. Has anybody been on this, on this road? You just, you're just driving along and all of a sudden, and, and here's what I'm, I'm picturing happening. No signals, just stops, middle of the road. And she, you can almost see the, the thought bubble over her head. Do I have time to go in here and look at tchotchkes that I don't need and still make it to lunch with the girls? I don't know, right? And so she just sat there for what felt like way too long. I mean, this is ridiculous. We're in the road. Just pull over, lady. Do zig or zag. I don't care. Just don't sit here in front of me. I'm trying really hard to stay Christian. Who's been there? Anybody? I'm reaching for the horn. I, I didn't. I didn't honk. Uh, I did say a few things, and Eleanor was like, Mark. Because that's her line with me. But all this to say, I'm an impatient guy whether it's in traffic or just in other parts of life. Like, I'm an impatient guy with technology. You know, Wi-Fi is too slow for me. And Wi-Fi is pretty much instantaneous, right? But if i got to wait like two or three more seconds, you know, for a page to load, I just start getting kind of fussed out. It's a little crazy. I, I don't like the spinning thing that's in the middle of the... And I don't like the little line at the bottom that's... Remember, you know, 25 years ago, it was like, eh, er, er, you know, and it was dial-up, and, and, and you had to wait like three days for a page to load, right? But I'm spoiled now, and I want it quick. I don't wait at restaurants anymore. Just can't do it. No food is worth it. But here's how stupid this is. If there's like a 10 or 15-minute wait somewhere, I'll get back in my car and drive 10 or 15 minutes to another restaurant so I can get in right away. I'm starting to kind of catch the math there. I'm starting to figure it out. Maybe if I would just stay put, I'll actually save more time. But that's, it, 
It's not so much that I, you know, don't want to eat at the bar. I just don't want to wait. I don't want to look at the things that you have for sale, Cracker Barrel. I don't want to stand here. I want to go in there and eat, and I want to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm a much faster eater than I used to be. I don't, I don't stick around. Eleanor's like, we going to talk? I'm like, no, let's go. We're out of here. And, uh, and I don't know what the rush is. It's just how I live. I'm an impatient guy. I'm going to talk about waiting today. Uh, some things we wait for with eager anticipation. You know, babies to be born, wedding days uh, to come. There's good things. But a lot of things we wait for, um, they're just anxiety-riddled things. They're hard. Uh, many of you have been praying for uh, the Taylors. Darnish is our worship pastor. Her husband, Scott, had surgery this past week, and uh, he went in Tuesday. And just so you know, great reports. Everything works uh, or worked awesomely, and they're really pleased with the results. Yeah, God, for that. Uh, but now he's in this part of anybody who goes through surgery's life uh, where he's waiting. He's waiting to be able to be released. And I actually just texted with him right before I came out here. Um, they're letting him go tonight. He's getting to go home and sleep in his own bed. Yeah, God, for that. But from there, there's the waiting to heal. Like he can't pick up anything over two pounds for the next six years or something. Not that long. But, uh, but you know, if you've ever been in that kind of situation where, you know, um, surgery or, or injury or um, just something has happened, and there's, there's that initial, okay, good. Now we're okay, but now we have to wait for everything to be whole. Scott finds himself there. Let's keep praying for him. Uh, Life is full of waiting. The Bible is full of stories of waiting. Like on almost, you know, every, certainly every book, but almost every page, you just see this, this concept, this, this reality that is waiting. Uh, Noah, it's one of the first stories I remember growing up here and in church when I went. I was fascinated by this guy who built a boat in the desert and uh, who shut himself and animals and his family up in the boat and then for 40 days just sat inside as it rained day and night. That's a lot of rain, right? But for 40 days, he just floats as it rains. I don't like floating for four hours. That's not me. I'm not nautical. Uh, But for 40 days, they're in there. And then if you keep reading... At the end of the story, it tells us that after the 40 days had ended, the rain had ended, it was another 150 days before the land started poking through the water again. That's a long time to be on a boat with every kind of animal. And your family? Come on. (laughs) Children of Israel left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and and, and truly, you know, I don't know how long it would take. I, I should probably look it up for sermons like this. But it, days, weeks, certainly no more than months to be able to travel from where they had crossed the Red Sea uh, as a people to the promised land and be able to start the conquest of the promised land. But it's 40 years before Israel, once emancipated from Egypt, gets to start the process of entering their promised land. Now, they had a lot to do with that. Don't get me wrong. A lot of it was their fault, but... Here's what we have to admit or wrestle with, grapple with when it comes to waiting. If, if we wait, it's at the behest of the God who is sovereign over all things. And sometimes we might do things that cause us to wait. We might make mistakes or get out ahead of him. And, but at other times, we're doing exactly as he asks and honoring him the best that we can. And he still says, not yet. We're going to wait a little while on this one. 
and we can get impatient. If you have your Bibles, turn in them with me to Isaiah. It's pretty much right in the middle if you pop it open. But Isaiah 64. Isaiah is a prophet. He comes on the scene in the history of Israel around 740 BC. He prophesies to the, uh, uh, the people that he is you know, living in that time with. And then he starts prophesying, most scholars believe, toward the ends of his book, uh, starting in, in the 35, 40 chapter range, uh, about a time that will occur later on in Israel's history, a time where they'll be in captivity a couple hundred years from his life uh, here on earth. Now he's projecting in these prophecies the reactions that a captive Israel will have. And in Isaiah 63, he, he basically projects this lament, this prayer that Israel will, uh, you know, send up to God and saying, you know, you've forgotten us. You, you don't even see us. Won't you move in us and move in our midst and, and, and end this captivity, end this, this pain that we're in. And he gets to chapter 64 and he continues that prayer and he says this in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Who's prayed that one? Lord, split the sky and just get down here. Let's just, let's just be done with this. Rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. I don't know if Isaiah was a scientist, but he understood uh, catalytic reactions, right? He understood that if you take fire and you put it in a, a big pile of dry brushwood, we're going to have a bigger fire. And if you take a, a pot of water and you put it over that bigger fire, the water inside that uh, pot is going to start to bubble and boil and actually spill over. There's, there's going to be these causes that bring about effects. And God, the cause that I want you to start with is the ripping of the sky and the coming down here so that we can have the effect that we desire, the freedom that only you can give. He says, do all this to make your name known to your adversaries and that the that the nations might tremble at your presence. Don't do it for us. Do it so that everybody who thinks that our God is impudent and unable, do it so that they can know that you are the God of all gods. And then he starts remembering. Verse 3, he says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. Can I just put a pin in the sermon for a second? Isn't it great that we serve a God who does awesome things that we're not looking for? Isn't that cool? Like, like we pray for specific things and sometimes God says, not yet, we're going to get to that, we'll talk about that more. He says, wait. But as we're waiting for those things and maybe disappointed that we're having to wait for those things, we forget all the things that we didn't ask for that he's doing on the regular. Like we woke up today. Everybody grateful for that? Probably took it for, now some of you might not be, you'd rather be home right now. You'd rather be in bed. Would have been fine with you. But overall, it's a blessing every time you wake up. It's a blessing every time you can move your bodies and uh, live and move and have your beings, right? It's a blessing. It's a grace. One we take for granted. But God does even greater things than just the more mundane stuff. He, he, he intersects our lives in ways that we never thought of, and, and, and he blesses us in ways that we could never expect. You know, the same children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, it started with this incredible miracle. They had escaped excuse me, escaped Egypt, and, and, and they were heading towards the Red Sea, but Pharaoh said, what have I done? I've, I've released the entire slave, you know, core of our work party, and, and so I, we need to go get them, and he sends his army after them, and they get to the Red Sea. Familiar with the story? And everybody's looking at Moses. What's up, Mo? We got this, and we got them. How are we getting across? And you remember what happened? Moses says, or God says to Moses, hey, take the stick. And, he, and, and this miracle happens. A land bridge stretches out in front of Israel and they cross the Red Sea. 
God does things in ways we would never expect and provides for us just when we need him. You, know, you, you could take that um, to the Christmas story because certainly God's son being born in a barn was something that none of us would have expected. Even though the prophets had, had foretold that he would come and uh, he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would uh, grow up eating a honeycomb, uh, the, the, the diet of a poor man. Um, all of those prophecies were kind of swept aside as we assumed, or not us, but the Israel at the time assumed that their Messiah would be this great warrior, this governmental uh, figure. But Jesus was born in a barn, grew up in anonymity. Uh, even when he came uh, uh, to the time in his life where he started doing his miracles and his ministry and started drawing people on himself and spreading his good news, um, that period, that three and a half period of, uh, year of, period of his life ended in, in a way that no one was seeing, even though he told them over and over again, I got to go to Jerusalem. And I basically have to give up my life uh, for the sake of all you. And everybody was like, no, you're not going to do that. Over my dead body, Peter said, I mean, you're not going to do that. But that's what he did. Can you imagine being there? Like we're on this side of history looking back, but can you imagine being his followers and seeing him uh, submit to the authorities and allow himself to be crucified? This guy who had walked on water and fed 5,000 and um, you know, who could do anything. But they didn't see that that was this amazing grace that God was giving him. He, he was working in ways that he, they didn't expect. And it was through his death that you and I would receive life. If, if he didn't pay the price for our sins and, and sacrifice himself and become for us that perfect sacrifice, then none of us are sitting here today in relationship with him, Right? And then again, we're looking back in history on what happened on Easter, but all of his friends who saw him die, even though they'd been told that, you know, he would raise it, you know, this temple would raise again in three days, even though they'd been told that, they weren't thinking that. At least that's the impression that we get because they were just hanging out in a room when all of a sudden Jesus appears and they're like thinking, that, we're seeing a ghost. And he says, put your, to Thomas, put your hand in my side and feel the scars in my hands. And, and then they realized Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, you and I, can come back to life spiritually. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's given us eternal life. What a, what a, it, all, it, all it takes is faith in him. He's did, he did all of that in ways that his followers never expected, in ways that you and I would have never drawn it up. He did all of that so that God's grace could come to us. Isaiah says, when you did awesome things you did not look for, that we did not look for, you came down. And one of the specific ways that you came down is the time in Exodus 19 where the mountains quaked at your presence. If you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, the children of Israel actually leave Egypt. They start uh, you know, uh, wandering away uh, from the Red Sea into a region uh, that Moses had actually, actually met God. Uh, at the time that he met God there, it was called Mount Horeb, a bush lit on fire. Uh, but now they're back, and it's known as Mount Sinai. And all of Israel is gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. And it tells us in Exodus 19 that God's presence descends on the mountains, and fires start, and smoke billows, and the very mountain itself shakes. God tells Moses, don't let anybody else come up here. They're not going to be able to handle my presence. I'll give you a special dispensation of grace to be able to be in my presence. But don't let anybody else up here. They won't walk down. And Isaiah, remembering this story from his ancestors' history, says, God, it's what I want. Rip the heavens, shake some mountains. Change the situation that we find ourselves in. 
It's almost as, as if Isaiah is like a, a fellow traveler with a, a family at, a, at an airport. Anybody ever been to a, a, a waiting area in an airport where uh, mom and dad and a few young, young kids are kind of traveling? Maybe they're going to see someone at Christmas. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's two really good kids and then there's Jimmy. Does, it, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And Jimmy's like, you know, four or five and just, you know, a complete barbarian, ravenous, and uh, keeps wandering away from his parents. Dad has taken the, the other two kids to go to the potty, and it's just mom and Jimmy. And Jimmy has, you know, his mom's looking at her phone. Jimmy has eluded mom, and he's gone to the trash can, and he's starting to pull things out of the trash can, and he's starting to eat the crust of pizza that was left there, right? Has anybody seen? And, and so, yeah, sorry. Enjoy your lunch. Anyway, uh, and this is what mom does. Mom says, Jimmy... You know you're not supposed to eat the trash. I need you to put the trash down and come right over here. And then she says this, and I'm going to count. Who started that? Who started the count? I'm going to count to five. I want to give you a chance to obey me. So I'm going to give you the five. And so she starts counting. One, two, three, four, four and a half. And as a fellow traveler who's being distracted by this scene and grossed out by Jimmy eating the garbage, right? Don't you just want to say to this mom, go get him! Why are we counting? Jimmy's eating the trash. And that's how we feel sometimes with God. Hey, God, Heavenly Father, you're in charge. You could change this. Go get him. Tear the heavens and come down. Shake some mountains. Let's get on with it. I get there. <laughs> Way too often I get there. And then like Isaiah, I have to remember that sometimes God's not going to tear the heavens. And sometimes he's not going to immediately come down. Sometimes he's going to make me wait. That's what Isaiah talks about next. He says, verse 4, from of old... No one has heard or perceived by the ear, and no eye has seen a God besides you. He's, he's, he's kind of pulling out of his urgency, and he's thinking, okay, but wait a minute. I'm talking to God here. I'm talking to the God who is above all things. No eye has seen, no ear has heard of anyone like you, God. And then he says this. You are a God who acts for those who wait for him. God acts for those who wait on him, not when we want him to and how we want him to necessarily, but, but as we wait upon the Lord, he acts on our behalf. Certainly God could have answered Isaiah's prayers uh, for Israel uh, in this time of history and just ended things, um, but from studying the story, uh, Israel's in captivity for a long time. Jeremiah comes along and says, oh, hey man, plant your gardens, marry off your daughters. This is going to be a while, but stay faithful to your God. God often tells us, not right now when we ask for things. It's not a direct no. When you pray sometimes, well not sometimes, all the time, God either answers with a yes and the heavens tear open and things happen, or he answers with a no, it's not going to be something I'm going to give you in life. Or, as my experience goes, he often says, wait and see. Not right now. Now, when you and I say not right now, it's usually for more human reasons. Like when I was growing up uh, with my kids and, and parenting them, 
Most of the time, I think I was a good dad, but I'll confess, sometimes I was selfish. And so they would ask me to go do things with them or for them, and I would say, not right now. And it wasn't not right now, like, I'm going to get to that sometime. It was like, no, I just don't want to do that right now. I'd rather watch the game. Because we're selfish that way, right? Sometimes our not right nows are for our sake. Or sometimes, you know, uh, hopefully more often than that, uh, <laughs> my not right nows were tied to things that were my limitations. Like, hey, Dad, can I get a new bike? My old one's, you know, totally broken, and, and there's no way that I can continue to ride it. But we, we would be in certain, you know, phases of our financial lives where that was not a possibility. And it wasn't for the lack of want. It was just I couldn't do it. And so I would look at my kid, and I'd say, listen, I would love to give you a bike, a bike but I, I can't right now. It's, it's a not right now thing because I, we can't afford to buy you a bike. It's just not going to happen. Or sometimes we're limited by time, right? Like someone asked us to go and do something. Like uh, you know, Thursday night, uh, someone uh, you know, called me and said, hey, man, our company just released these tickets for the Lightning game. Would you like to, to go? It's 4 o'clock, but you know, I just want to let you have a, a shot at it. And I was like, of course I want to go to the Lightning game, brother. But my dance card's full. And so ask again, but I can't go right now because I'm limited by my other requirements in life. God doesn't have those limitations. He's unencumbered by selfishness. He's perfect and holy and righteous and uh, certainly desires his glory above all things. But he loves us and demonstrates his love for us in Christ over and over again. Uh, He's not constrained by resources. He's able to do anything. He's not limited by his time. He's over all things and can do all things all at once. But he often tells us to wait. And when he tells us to wait, he has his reasons. And we can trust that in waiting, he's going to bring about his greater glory and our greater good. I got a buddy in uh, Illinois who uh, uh, is just a year younger than me. His brother and I are really close, but uh, uh, recently uh, in his life, uh, he's made some decisions that basically led to him being um, fired from his job. He was a school teacher in the town that I uh, lived in there and uh, um, basically was let go after some 20, 25 years of teaching in this same school district. And so uh, obviously that was a jarring thing in life. And, and thank God, God often allows these jarring things to happen to draw people into a deeper understanding of who he is. And so uh, his brother put me and uh, him together, and we've been talking a lot about what God might be doing in the midst of this um, reset in his life. He, uh, he and I prayed for a month or so for his next job. He finally got one in a neighboring school district in a town you know, across the river, and uh, he started his job there this past week, and he texted me after the first day, and he's like, I don't know. I do not know, Mark. I don't know if this is going to work out. It's not like my last job. I don't have any relationships there. I'm not doing what I was doing, the thing I'm most comfortable in doing. I'm in a classroom with kids who don't want to learn. I just don't know. Is God really in this? And I got the text back, and I'm like, oh, God's really in everything, bro. He's in the midst of all of our stuff. And if he's allowed you to have this job, at least for the time being, you've got to understand that he's wanting to use this experience and use you in this environment to move his story forward and to teach you the things you wouldn't learn otherwise. So just wait and see how things go. How are you and I at waiting on God? How are we when it comes to us having to wait? Um, It's probably a good point for me in the 
stage of the sermon to kind of explain what waiting on the Lord is, at least from a biblical understanding of those words. Uh, waiting on the Lord isn't just kind of sitting here killing time, you know, arms folded or, you know, fingers tapping on the table, just like, oh, come on, God. Uh, it's, it's more of this confident, eager suspense. It's forgetting what lies behind, like Paul says, and straining forward to what lies ahead and pressing on towards the goal. It's, it's, uh, it's believing that God can and will act and waiting on tiptoes with eager longing for his help to arrive. I uh, golf uh, Friday mornings uh, most of the time and, and I got a bunch of buddies that I golf with. Sometimes we, we go play other courses, you know, up in Dade City or something like that. So we got to leave early, early to be able to start early, early and finish early. And uh, so they'll pick me up at my house at like 5, 30 in the morning. It's still dark out. I'll wake up, I'll have my coffee and I'll just... I'll kind of peel back the blinds in my kitchen so that I can see the headlights as they come into my yard and I can see when it's time to go out. But invariably what happens is I, I get done my parts before they arrive and so I'm just kind of standing there and uh, um, I don't like to sit idle and so here's what's happening in my house in this uh, phase of our lives. I've become the laundry guy. I do most of the laundry, not because Eleanor makes me. Uh, I like it. I like uh, the... The whole start, finish, fold, put away. I love that. It's like I began, I ended, we're done. I like that. And so the night before, uh, one of these days that I was waiting for this, uh, this ride to arrive, uh, I, had, I had put a load in the dryer. and I, So I went and got it, and I just I set the, dryer, or the, the laundry basket on the, on the kitchen table, and I stood looking out the window, and I just started falling. Now, I was, I was eagerly awaiting uh, the pickup so I could go and do something I was looking forward to doing. But while I was waiting, I was watching and working and doing what I could. And when it comes to us waiting on the Lord, it's essentially what God's calling us to do. Don't just sit there and woe is me. Keep moving. Keep trusting. Keep walking, knowing that waiting on the Lord is this active living and belief that God will make much of this situation in my life in his time and in his way. You know, the, the Bible tells stories of um, people who have to wait for a long time for those that they love to come around, like the prodigal, right? This father basically uh, gives his uh, kid the, the half of his uh, inheritance to go off and just do whatever he wants with, and then he waits. It's always fascinated me about the story. He just waits. He lets the, the kid figure it out, come to his senses and return. Uh, some of us are parents here, and um, um, whether our kids are young and those days await us, uh, I pray not. I pray your kids always follow Jesus, or whether you're like me and you're kind of in that season where your kids uh, have gotten into adulthood and they've started making those choices to um, go against the things that they learned growing up and the faith that they had uh, when they were in your home, well, we're there. I've shared it with you. And, um, when my oldest son uh, decided to kind of go off the rails, like I did uh, as a younger guy, can't point the finger too much, um, it was hard for me. I went through a really dark season of being angry at him and really angry at God. I'm like, God, seriously? I mean, I preach at a church. You know, don't I get a pass in this part of life? Don't, aren't you going to keep my kids walking the straight and narrow? And he's like, well, your dad was a pastor and you didn't. 
Oh yeah, well, well it's different. It's totally different. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and so I went through this, you know, this, this kind of dip, this kind of spiritual, but, but here's, you know, finally, uh, uh, over time as, as God kind of, you know, was patient with me, uh, he just started saying, hey, Mark, are we really going to do this? Are you just going to be mad at me? Or are we going to start using this for what I hope it to be? Or, or are you going to use this time of waiting to develop the things that you haven't developed yet? Like prayer. Hey, I know you pray, and you, you, know, you, you pray an appropriate amount of time, but how about, like, how about going further with prayer? How about praying deeper and longer and in, in greater faith? God's been teaching me that over this past year. Um, how about faith? Because most of us have faith up to here, right? We have like the understandable amount of faith. But then when we get into these seasons or these areas, these situations, we're like, well, that's way past here. Then we kind of freak out and God says, well, I want, I want here to be here and then here and then I want to keep going. I, I got to the point, by God's grace, uh, where he's working these things out of me to where I hope I'm being more productive in my relationship with my kid. He came home for Thanksgiving and, and uh, I said, come on, we're going to walk the dog. And so we took the dog for the loop around our neighborhood. And, and then we came back and uh, we sat in our backyard uh, at the picnic table for like three hours. And I talked to my kid about everything that he's thinking and why he doesn't believe in the choices he's making. And, and he called me stupid and I called him stupid in a loving way. And uh, uh, we had this, what I think, I pray, was this really great conversation. And the whole time, I'm not fearful. I don't know if you've had these conversations where you just kind of don't know how it's gonna turn out. I'm not fearful of how it's gonna turn out. I'm waiting on the Lord and trusting that he's gonna turn it out. Amen. To the point where, when my kid says to me, I know you're probably praying that when I'm 40 or something like that, I'll stand on the stage with you and tell everybody about how I came back to Jesus. I said, I'm praying it's way before you're 40, bro. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I am praying that. And I want you to know, I'm expecting that. From the God who is able to overcome, from the God who is able to rescue, from the God who is able to provide, I am expecting that in your life. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to take, but I'm praying the dangerous prayers that whatever it takes, God will bring you back to himself. And so, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting. In the time that we have left, let me just take you to one more passage in Isaiah and try to answer this question. Why should we hurry up and wait on God? Why should we hurry up and wait on God? In Isaiah 40, we have the coffee mug verses for waiting. Uh, some of you who've grown up in the church are going to recognize when we get to the verse that appears on the posters in the coffee mugs. But there's some verses that precede it. I want to share those with you. In Isaiah 40, 28. We see the answers start to unfold uh, for this question of why we should hurry up and wait on God. And, and the answers go to God's character and his, his ability. The first thing we see is that God is over all time. Why should we hurry up and wait on him? Because he's God and he's over all time. It says in verse 28, have you not known and have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? He is without end. He goes backwards and forwards. He's everlasting, eternal, the creator of the ends of the earth. God's not bound by time. He's gone forward into our future and he knows what lies there. And here's what you need to picture God the Father doing with you. When you're waiting and you don't know how things are going to turn out, he just says, yeah, come on, just take my hand and I'm going to walk you there. 
It's not going to work out exactly what you thought. Uh, it might take longer than you thought, but just, just trust me. Let's go. Because he's been there, and he wants to lead you to his best in your future. When I uh, asked Eleanor to marry me, it was a Friday night. And on that uh, Friday night, I got a bunch of uh, friends from Moody, uh, the, the school that we went to, to, to join me in kind of putting together a special night for her. I walked her through the history of our dating experience. So I took her to the site of our first date, the site of our first kiss, the, the place on campus where I first told her that I loved her, right? It was going really well, right? Went to five or six of those spots, and we finally ended up um, <laughs> at this one beach that overlooks the, the whole city of Chicago. And I start walking around on this beach. And later she would tell me, when you started walking towards this beach, I was like, this bozo is taking me to a place where he went with another girl. Because <laughs> I have never been here in my life. <laughs> and she told me, she said, I didn't know what was up. I didn't know if I should ask you what was going on. I didn't know if you would, you know... But I just went with it. And we're, I think, both glad that she did. Because I walked her out on that beach and I stood her there and I just kind of squared up with her and I said, okay, do you remember being here? And she just looked at me and she said, no. And then I stopped, dropped and popped. I got down on my knee and I said, it's because I want you to remember this is the place where I asked you to marry me. Bam! She said yes. How could she not? That is gold right there. <laughs> but could have turned out different. Right? We could have pulled up to the beach and she would have been like, you jerk. I've never been here before. But she trusted me. She went with the one who had been there before on his scouting trip as to where it would be best to ask for her hand. And here we are. God wants that from us, hopes that for us, that because he's gone ahead of us in time, we'll trust him and we'll walk with him into our future. God's not only over all time, but he's also um, the God who's the everywhere creator. He's not just eternal, he is omnipresent, he's everywhere. And he's our creator, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He, he's made us and he's made everything. And as the maker of us and the maker of everything, God knows us, he knows what's best for us. He understands us in ways that we don't understand ourselves. And he wants to lead us into his best for us. He's not just the everywhere creator, but He's also inexhaustible in his nature. God is inexhaustible. It says in verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. Hang on to those two words, faint and weary are gonna show up again. But this is uh, who we have as a God. He, he doesn't clock off, he doesn't take breaks. He's always aware. He's, he's always at work. You and I are sleeping. He's making stuff happen. He's bringing together all things for his good according to his plan. And he never wears out. Finally, we see as Isaiah writes that God is unsearchably wise. 
He's over all time. He's our everywhere creator. He's inexhaustible. And he is unsearchably wise. Have you not known, it says in verse 28, 28, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. I love that we live in an age where I can talk to a piece of plastic and be like, hey, Siri, who won the World Series in 1987? And this piece of metal and plastic will tell me. It's been the, the great argument ender in so many debates with my friends. We argue about who wrote this song or who you know, was at this concert or, you know, and we just ask Siri and Siri tells us, isn't that great? Knowledge is searchable now with the phone that you got in your pocket. But did you know there's still things that haven't hit the internet? There's still parts of existence that we don't know, things that we'll never know, they're unsearchable. But the knowledge and the understanding of our God extends past what we can know into those things that we can't, and therefore he is worthy of our trust. He is the only one that we should wait on in life. I went to a movie over the Thanksgiving holiday with my daughter, and, and uh, when we got there, the, the previews were shown. There's two, di- two different sets of previews. There's like commercials. I don't even know what to call them, but they, they aren't about movies. And then the, the movie preview starts. Anybody been to the movies lately? And, and usually when those, you know, 30, 35 minutes are showing, they're only showing on about two-thirds of the screen. There's, a, you know, just a portion of the ends of the screen on either side that have no picture on them. Has anybody ever noticed this? Probably you haven't. I'm that kind of guy. And so I have this slight joy, this slight, slight little bump of, hmm, when, when finally the movie begins and the screen starts to spread to fill the whole screen. Has everybody seen this? Like when I, when I used to go to the old theater where I, I grew up, uh, the, the curtains would actually roll back further in this theater and the screen would fill. Some of the old people are going, yeah, I definitely, yeah. Now, in this particular movie that we watched, uh, the previews gave way to the movie, and guess what happened? Screen didn't fill. Oh, we just can't have this. <laughs> I paid 12 bucks to watch this movie. movie. You better fill that whole screen, right? And so I'm of half of mind to get up and go somewhere and talk to somebody about, hey, the screen's not full. And I didn't because, first of all, <laughs> That person's going to laugh at me, right? Oh, so sorry, sir. The movie's working, but it's not working. Anyway, uh, and then secondly, you're going to miss the whole beginning part of the movie, and it's just no good. You're going to miss parts. So I just stayed there, and I sat through the limited screening of this movie. But it got me to thinking. Most of life, for us, as finite beings, is on the screen. we got one screen. Now, ladies, you got all kinds of screens on your screen. you got like 50 screens on your screen, and you're thinking about them all the time. Most of us guys, one screen. But whether it's 50 in the one or one, we got the one box that we can fit everything that we know into. But I was watching that movie and it was like showing pictures of you know, the, the inside of this house and, and, and the movie cuts off, it has to, it's, it's a film. But there's other parts of that scene that I can't take in. In fact, there's right now other parts of this room that I can't see because all I've got is basically from here. If I use my peripheral, I can see some of you over here and some of you over there shift my eyes a little bit, but I, I have, is, is there anything going on behind me? I can't tell, because this is what I got. I got the screen. But this is who we have in our God. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's got it all in his hands. And we, these finite creatures, his creations, who have this limited view Assume that we know more than him and take the reins from him 
and start to tell him how things should go. We start to scold him for making us wait. And he's got to be looking down at us, the infinite being that he is, being like, really? This is how this is going to go? Don't you think it'd just be better for you to trust me than for you to wait? That's what the next verses teach us. That if we're willing, God will grant us his power for our waiting. It says in verse 29 that he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. When you and I get weary, grow faint, and get weary, he infuses us with his abilities so that we can wait. I used to take our kids on excursions with Eleanor when they were just wee wee little. And one time I remember we forgot the stroller and we went to the Texas State Fair, big mistake. Because you know, three, four and five year old kids do not last long holding a hand and walking in the hot uh, you know, Texas sun. And, and so pretty soon I was double barreled, you know, carrying a couple kids. We didn't stay long, we went back to the car. They were so tired from walking that even in the early hours of the evening, they all fell asleep. And so, in their weakness, Eleanor and I were strong. We pulled them from their car seats and threw them up over our shoulders like burlap sacks and we took them to their beds and laid them to rest, right? Because when they were weary, we were their strength. I remember Ben um, you know, being a little guy and, and wanting to help us when we were moving once. A bunch of guys came over to help me to move some furniture around so we were picking up a couch and, and Ben wanted to help. So I, I said, all right, come here, buddy. So he got right here between my knees and he he was holding the couch in front of me, and I said, okay, on the count of three, one, two, three, and I had all my friends kind of in on this. They weren't going to help at all, so on three, none of us lifted, and so, you know, five-year-old Ben's like, yeah, you know, and just, well, he's like, that's heavy. I said, yeah, maybe we should all help. Do you want us to help? <laughs> anyway, so he's like, yeah, help, and so, okay, one, two, three, and the three men picked up the couch, and Ben's just straining, right? Anybody seen that kid? All right, we're going to move it over here, Ben. He's moving. Is he carrying any of the couch? No. He's mostly in the way. It's hard to walk with a kid between you. But where Ben could not, his father could. And where we cannot, our father can. Isaiah brings up the obvious. He says, even youths shall faint and be weary, verse 30. And young men shall fall exhausted. What's he saying? Even at our best, at our most physically fit in the prime of our lives, even we get tired. There's a girl in my life group, a lady, she's a lady, in my life group, she runs super marathons. A, a couple Saturdays ago, she went to Lakeland and she ran all day Friday and all day Saturday. It was like 100 miles. I, I think she's crazy. But I was like, why'd you stop? You know what her answer was? It was 100 miles, Dodo. I was tired. <laughs> oh, Okay. She went way further than I could. Maybe you can go way further than me too. But every one of us in here, regardless of our age, we're gonna to come to the end where we just can't do it anymore. Young men, old men, we all get faint and grow weary and get exhausted. But here's the, here's the coffee cup, ready? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles, they'll run and not be weary and they'll walk and not faint. Who's heard that one? Some of us have. It's really amazing. It says there that the, 
those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. But actually, that word renew is actually the Hebrew word that's translated in other places, exchange. We're going to exchange strengths. It made me think about car batteries, right? Look, if you've ever um, had a car battery go out because you left the lights on or something like that, what's your first move, right? Your first move is to find your jumper cables or someone with jumper cables, and then they'll come over to your car, and they'll, and they'll just give you that jump, and then all of a sudden your car does its job, and it starts recharging your battery for you, and you're fine. You just you made a mistake. You keep going. But then eventually in the life of your car, you're going to find that no amounts of jumping is going to get that battery to work. It's dead. The cells have drained. And so it's time to replace the battery. And here's what Christians do a lot of times. I'll just get a jump. In my own strength, I'll find what I need. I'll, I'll, I'll bring what I need in so that I can be infused with some power and I'll go on a little bit more. And so I'll make it to church this weekend where I haven't for the last couple months. Or I'll read my Bible or I'll pray or whatever. I'll just get a jump. But what we're really doing is we're saying that we're going to God, but what we're really doing is really just relying on our stuff. It's, it's willpower over weight power. But every once in a while, we come to the end of ourselves. The battery won't charge. All those little pops that we were used to getting so that we could keep going, they don't work. And it's in those moments that we need to understand. It's not the end. It's just the time for an exchange. It's the time for renewal. It's the time for us to quit depending on our own strength and to exchange it for the strength of a God who is inexhaustible. He also enables us to do the impossible. Does everybody see that there? It says, they shall mount up on wings like eagles. Everybody's like, what a great metaphor. It is a great metaphor. We'll soar above our problems. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not faint. But all three of those things are impossibilities. Everybody gets that, right? In the natural world, you and I don't fly like eagles. I'd love to, but it's just not in me. Not built for flight. But it's not just that. If I run, I will grow weary. I can tell you. I've done it. And if I even walk, I don't run, I just kind of go to, there's still going to be a time where I'll grow faint and I'll just be done. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Read it this way. They'll fly. They'll run without end. They'll walk without weariness. They'll be able to do the impossible. Isn't this, isn't this the great joy? of being in life with a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what I can ask or think. He's able to do what I can't. He's able to do the impossible. And so where I lack the ability, he has it. I just gotta wait on him. Paul was talking about it in Philippians 4 as we close. Are they back? Oh, they're, I guess they're back there. <laughs> Told you I can't see behind me. Paul said in Philippians 4, as he's talking about being thankful to the Philippians for providing for him, he says, you know, I've learned to live in plenty. I've learned to live without. But he says, regardless of my situations, I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And while he's, out, he's just saying what Isaiah said, I'm going to wait in every situation I find myself, in, in the plenty and in the less, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to trust him for what I need because all things in life with him are possible. And so now, may you and I wait upon the Lord. May you and I be infused with his strength. May you and I be reminded 
that he is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth, that he is our maker, sustainer. He is our God who is knowledge is unsearchable. Man, he can be trusted. And so may we trust him. Uh, It's Christmas time. We sing a lot of these songs of expectancy. The song we're going to close with is one of those. It talks about Israel waiting for the coming of the Messiah. We live on this side of his first arrival. Advent is this time where we actually take uh, time to focus on his next arrival as well. But on the day-to-day, may we all wait on his arrival in the situations of our lives. And let him and his power guide us. Will you stand with us as we sing?